The first rule of Fight Club is don't bring any peanuts or anything made with peanuts. The rule of the podcast is no adverbs. One adverb, pew, you just get flinged off. You will not be a part that of this podcast. That is a anymore. patently absurd rule. Oh, no. no. Ah! Oh, no. It's, it's not that hard to obey the one rule of no adverbs. This is the Stack Exchange Podcast, episode 71, recorded Tuesday, June 28th, 2016, at Stack Exchange headquarters in wet and rainy New York, New York. It's a wee bit reach in it. Practicing my <laughs> Scottish. After all this Brexit stuff, I think we're just going to end up as a colony of Scotland. Anyway, wet and rainy New York, where more than 8 million people live in peace and enjoy the benefits of democracy, even though many of them would be disappointed to learn that our comic con is not the main one. Wait, what? Yeah. Today's podcast is brought to you by... Eugene McCarthy for president, <laughs> U.S. Senator from Minnesota, restoring to many people a belief in the processes of American politics and of American government. Today's podcast is also sponsored by IBM. Did you guys know, actually, that you can run Swift in the cloud? Really? Swift, wait, Swift. That's, the, that's the iOS language. It is. Swift, the modern, easy-to-use, open-source programming language, has come to the server and is running on the cloud. Build and deploy your cloud services today with Swift at IBM. On today's podcast, the usual crew, vice president of community product, Jay Hanlon. Hello. James. Jason. And VP of Engineering, <laughs> David Fullerton. Hi. I'm your host, Joel Spolsky. Welcome back, you guys. Hello. Thanks, Joel. Good to be back. Yeah. I'm trying to give yeah, Jay did, a new name. Did, I was going to say, I think you can change my title. I'm not certain you can change my name. <laughs> I'm just playing around with that. Uh, check the, all those papers you signed when you joined. There was a lot of, actual, there was a lot of there. words. That's true. It, it happens when we accepted Scottish uh, sovereignty. Supremacy. We have... From the HyperDev team at Fog Creek Software, Mr. Daniel X. Moore. Hello. And Gareth Wilson. Hi there. All right. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it is good to Put be away back. Those peanuts. It is, why, why do we keep talking about peanuts? <laughs> you know, peanuts could kill my daughter. Okay. It's been a while since we've done one of these. It has. It's been too long. It's guys. been at least been like the last long. one People was were last like week, I think. We away... just, the trouble is we're recording them all, and they're amazing, and then we're throwing them away. And That's right. People were away having babies. and Our strategy is a lot like the De Beers Corporation. We make one every week, and we keep them in a vault, carefully right. controlling the supply, the supply and demand, demand. To increase That's the right. value. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yes. That's why this podcast is going to be worth so much on the black market. I like David's baby. I did have a baby. That's right. It's a good, nice segue from black market. Also, to control the prices where did you get the baby? of Fullerton I was at, babies. I, I'm not going to go into detail about where the baby came from, but I had a baby. Yes. <laughs> Congratulations, David. Good work. Good and work. And I took Good advantage work. of our very nice, generous parental leave policy and was out for a solid month, which Wait, was you great. Were, you were out for a month? <laughs> even, I know. And nobody even notice. noticed. That's I was. Right. It's weird you say I that. I thought about now. not coming back and seeing if the paychecks would just keep coming. But <sighs> Engineering got a lot done last fixed. month. It was like, amazing. It was, there was a lot less just a lot nonsense. Sturm and drawing, a lot less grief. So yeah, so David's back. David's got a baby. The baby's not here. Mostly she's terrible at podcast recordings. So it'll yeah. be a few years before she's ready to be a guest. Right. She's working 18. at refining her sigh. So should we talk about the news of the day? Can is we there news? I th well, there's, I think we wanted to start talking about some, some we news. We already talked about Brexit. That's, what else is there to talk about? That's supposed that's, to do the guests first in the news. No, let's do the news first. We can do the guests first. Let's do the news. Do we have a jingle for the news? We don't have a jingle yet. I'm working on getting us a jingle. Yeah. I don't know. For the record, for the people that are listening, this is either the last podcast <laughs> or the very least my last podcast. Just remember, this podcast is the beginning of the end of our lives. <laughs> uh, and sponsored by IBM. So thank you, IBM. 
So we thought we'd do a little bit of like just general tech news. Let's do some tech news. Tech news of the day, especially relevant to us, is... There's an Apple Watch. It's really... It's been six months. That's been a long time. <laughs> .NET Core. I don't know 1.0. Don't know what that means either. You don't know what .NET Core is? No. So nobody does, it turns out. No, no, no. But, um, no, but I really don't know what it means. It's very complicated. Even the people like, I don't, so, I don't so the parts know that you care about. So there's parts that .NET developers care about, which is they're kind of splitting out the core of the .NET framework to be a much smaller stripped down thing. But the thing that you probably care about What's is that have? a bunch of Windows, well, a lot of stuff, but a bunch of Windows specific stuff because oh. the whole idea is that it's the same across Windows, Mac, Linux development and it goes with all of Microsoft's new open source push. Nice. They've got, you know, Visual Studio Code, which is their new editor that works cross. It's not even, it's just a total new project. Right. But a new editor that works on Mac and Linux and .NET Core comes with ASP.NET Core That's as decent. well, so you can write so server side any kind of server side application. You, you can, can write whole yeah, you can write whole ASP.NET applications, okay. and then they bought or merged Mono into. So that's all. Oh, yeah, it's becoming this. It's the new Microsoft. It's it's kind of so. Wait, Mono is crazy. now like semi-official. Mono is official part of Microsoft. Okay. Yeah, and so it's been interesting. Yay. You haven't been following any of this, but it's been an interesting process. You can really just catch up. Just read back about six months worth of Nick Craver tweets on the subject. Just search for .NET Core because there's been. <laughs> Usually his tweets are like... Getting to this point, there's been a lot of rage yeah. and frustration getting to His the tweets are you know, very release. specific things about the experience he's having installing something. So it's interesting watching Microsoft go through this transition where they're trying to become more open to the community, more community involvement. And sure. um, it's a bit of a rocky road. I mean, well, you can I imagine it's this, gigantic, up on them. it's this gigantic they're ship like, they're hi, trying to turn. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi, we're still relevant. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, they've, the, they've, they've got a good community and they've got community interest, sure. but adapting Microsoft way of doing things to an open community environment has been tricky. So there's been a lot of like, well, it's been, you know, major roadmap changes that seem to come out of nowhere, basically, because there's all these conversations happening at Microsoft that you can't see, right? Got it. And so it's really, they've, they've like done breaking changes in the process of their sort of release candidates. And they went backwards at one point, they decided it wasn't even a release candidate anymore. they they move backwards and they're the thing that's only supposed to move forwards and <laughs> and broken people things and a lot of people get uh, understandably very frustrated, which I think if you Isn't kind of... a thing where they just like sort of force-fed Windows 10 on everybody? That's a separate thing. Different thing. <laughs> that's a different arm of Microsoft. Different mistake. And the swift hammer of justice has punished them. They were forced to pay someone $10,000 yep. this week. Sponsored by IBM. Sorry, different swift. Different, yes. Different hammer of justice. Let's call it the fast hammer of justice for this episode, just this particular episode. <laughs> the objective C hammer of justice strikes <laughs> down. Uh, Got it. So this is all really interesting. I think this is interesting to the developer community in general, but obviously especially interesting to us because we're on the .NET stack and sure. very invested in this. And so we're happy when good things happen. Well, we're happy that Microsoft is moving in a more open direction, even though we are frustrated that they're still not there on some of this stuff. And they make decisions that nobody understands. And, you know, it's kind of typical growing pains, I think, that almost we go through as a company, too. Where Did it's I like, tell you how they copied my program? <laughs> oh, is it that is this one an Excel where you, story? Yeah, you put, like, the numbers no. in, and it puts them in a grid, and it no. adds them up and lets you make little pictures from no. them and stuff? No, no, Trello. Oh, they did. They made a they clone, made a of, clone Trello. of Trello. Well, and hang on. Called it Microsoft Planner. Hang on. Planning? Hang on. Planner? If you're going to call their product, let's be fair, right? Yeah. So you're calling it a clone. And I, yeah. I read their blog release, and yeah. I... Yeah. And I can't can't find the word Trello. No, no, no. Let's be let's be let's be very clear. Let's be very clear. There are significant, distinct design choices made. So, for example, after yeah. reviewing the whole thing for some time, 
I finally spotted that the add card button is on the top of the list on there. It's the bottom, it's the of, the bottom of the list. The whole thing was clearly a clean yeah. room implementation. Yeah. They had to they had to That's get right. up and go That's to right. the other room that yeah. had web access so they could try Trello and then they had to walk back to their computer in the other room and then implement it. There's a guy who goes like, "Oh, hang on, let me go ask the gentleman in the clean room. Hey Fred, do you agree we should make this part look like this too?" Okay, let's do it that way. <laughs> my favorite part of that whole thing, that my best funny. takeaway was, can you imagine if someone came to you and said your job is to yeah. announce this product and in no way acknowledge the existence of the of product, the product it has been designed to exactly resemble yeah. that is the worst communication job like i'd rather be white house press secretary for anybody than have right. that story be like i can't even acknowledge like the inspiration from other pl nope pretend we just made it like it's, it's a brilliant press idea. Says anything, but there was not a single article about microsoft planner that didn't even use the word trello even in the headline let alone it was it was <laughs> yeah yeah the new open Microsoft is very open about what they're doing to you. It's, you know, it's still the same Microsoft. Yeah. It's open. Well, you know, Microsoft's this gigantic behemoth, right? So sure. they can be both simultaneously opening up and still the same Microsoft that right. makes I, questionable I, choices about Windows 10 upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big company. There's, there must be at least 27 people there by now. I think they're up to like 40 <laughs> designers. I think they're... <laughs> we used to joke about all the designers at Twitter. <laughs> Did we do that I, on this podcast? Not not today. Uh, I think it was just a just a tweet storm. Oh really? This was years ago. Why do they have seventy five designers at Twitter? And then we went there and we saw that they put birds on everything, like every like the menu in the cafeteria, <laughs> the sign in form for guests, like everything we saw had a little bird on it. And we're like, okay, well that's why they need so many designers. There's an actual bird drawing characters of the designers at the company at launch yep. room. Yep. And at some point they changed the shape of the bird in sort of an infinitesimal amount, and, and then they had to go redo that. Everywhere. And then of course at the end of the day the joke's clearly on us because you know you look at our stuff and. Yeah, it has birds. Clearly, we didn't hire enough designers <laughs> early enough. Designers. We were like, one's plenty. We've got one designer and oh. and twenty five developers. That's a that's right. That's, that's fine. It takes it takes some time before you realize. Well, shoot, that's why we don't have enough birds. Like that's our problem. It's the designers. You're totally dependent on. Them. All right, so Joel, or Octocats. Do you, do you have a one minute tech review for us? Any kind what are you of playing mascot. with at home? Oh, one minute tech review. Bup, 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 bup. <laughs> Can we have a musical? Uh... Introduction to the one-minute tech review. We will, we will add it in post. Joel says... That sound good? That's the yes. only thing I'm going to say now. We're going to add that in post. Let me see if I can figure out what my one-minute tech review... My, my one-minute tech review is Wallcat. <laughs> Go to W-A-L-L.cat. Wall.cat. You have for Mac. You have I'm for sorry, Chrome. .cat. It's free. You can install it. And what it does is changes the background image <laughs> on your computer every day. Is it good? What's your review? It's awesome. It's awesome. It just does exactly what I need. It's just like... This nice guy named Dustin something or other picks a picture every day, and then that shows up on everybody's computer. And you don't really notice it because normally you, you have you Windows in open. Mac App Store? Do I have to? I can't just download it? No, it's just trivial. Just click on all the links, sign in with your phone. You'll get, you'll get a text message. External protocol then, request. Yeah. And then external protocol request, and then you get your thumbprint or whatever, and then look for a button that says click or install or open or something. And then Okay, I'm um, on step nine of 20. Type your Apple ID. I don't want to call this ID password. Oh, I don't remember my Apple password, so now I got Sorry, I got a verification code is arriving right now. I'm going to install it. This is funny because it's like I really had about five seconds of review here. <laughs> and have you guys noticed that there's a new two-factor authentication thing that Google and now Apple ID are starting to do? Yes. It's awesome, right? Yes. 
Can we get some opinions? What do, you, do you have to like lick the trackpad or something? What, how does it work? Well, the Google one is really awesome. Oh yeah, no, it's really slick. It just pushes. Yeah. It's, it's like the thing push. it seems like it always should have done. It's yeah. like, as soon as you why try it, you're like, wait, why did it? Digits. Yeah, why? When you, when you try yes. and log in, you link your phone to it. And when you try and log in, it just pushes a notification that says, do you want to approve this login? And you click yes. You just press a button instead of, it's you're, especially you absurd. You on your phone to push and boom, you're logged in. There's oh, no typing oh, six oh, digits. Oh, I see. Sweet. They're just making the two apps talk to each other and let Try it, it, right? They're abstracting out the Grace's transfer. I got your, it. Uh, I got their it. inbox and just follow the oh, instructions. Oh, it just, it, did, it just changed my wallpaper yeah. to this super grainy, low resolution picture of a rock. Yeah. Pretty there's actually crappy. three options, gradient structure and fresh air. Can I do the one that's actually retina resolution? It's, I don't know what resolution it is, but did you minimize all your windows? Because it's uh, not that bad. Joel on Wallcat. It's not that bad. Download <laughs> today from it's your like, local Like the top part looks kind of grainy, but I think yeah. that's intentional. The bottom like part this. is pretty sharp. I think that's the bokeh. Yeah, I think it's bokeh. No, it's not. It's not bokeh. It's, it's you bokeh. can see the pixels. The bokeh not pixels? Not the bottom. Bokeh is, is lens, and so it looks blurry. Not All right, well, you're pixel. evaluating based on one day's picture. Wait till tomorrow. Dustin oh, fixes I gotta wait you. till tomorrow. Look, I don't want to call this malware, but <laughs> we're it, already on minute it has, seven. It has neither a cat nor a wall. Review. This is the worst review I've ever heard, and I hope you're doing something interesting next week. I'm just kidding. I downloaded it. I'm pretty hopeful for a cat tomorrow. Okay, I'm, I'm okay. unimpressed. <sighs> Grinder extra. That's the next thing I want to review. <laughs> Grinder extra. Unlimited guys. Oh wait, I just I don't Google that. Let us, should we talk about what's shipped since we last recorded? It's been some time. Let's just talk big stuff and then we'll move on. Oh, to, there's a lot of new the features guests. and stuff. I want to talk to our guests. Flow. There, there are some, there are yep. some. So one significant thing that is back in the wild or in the wild anew is a Stack Overflow Enterprise. Stack Overflow Enterprise. Hey, we haven't talked about that at all. We have not. We okay. have not. I'm willing to describe Stack Overflow Enterprise to you in less than one minute. Go. Every developer has questions and only some of them apply to like just generic code, like programming languages, frameworks, et cetera. A lot of them are questions about the code that they have to work on at their job. Especially if you work for a big company that has thousands of programmers, mm -hmm. and absolute massive amounts of complicated code. And in that environment, it might be awesome if you could get a, an implementation of Stack Overflow with sort of a private database of questions and answers that is only visible inside the firewall. And you can ask questions about the code that you work on as opposed to code that everybody else works on. And that is called Stack Overflow Enterprise. And if you're interested, you can buy it from us and we will install it. You basically get a complete implementation of Stack Overflow running in a little virtual machine type environment that you can run in your own data center or you can, I think we can run it. We can run it in Azure, right? That's the option. We do have a private cloud managed version. Private cloud managed. That's right. For the right price, we'll build anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, we just we just like little, those little green rectangles that people give us. So one thing that I thought was interesting is how we wound up back sort of in the enterprise business, right? Because this was one where yeah, we used to have this. This was Stack Exchange 1.0 for those right. of you we sell it, that right? listen to this crazy podcast. Yeah. Well, so the thing I found interesting too is that there's plenty of people that are out there, and you know whether it's like open source clones of Stack Overflow or other companies that have built a Q and A product before. Yep. And the thing I really like is a number of years ago when we sort of went in on kind of focusing on the careers model, the way Joel always talked about it was we stopped building these communities, like partnering with people to build public facing communities. We dropped that kind of business line because we realized we're not actually a software company. We're a community building company at heart, right? Anyone can build kind of a generic Q&A website. What made us special, what made Stack Overflow different was how we actually built the community. And so the interesting thing with the enterprise product is it's the exact same philosophy behind how we're doing it. 
yes, we have this really optimized built over seven years software product because we're just using the same code that runs public stack overflow. Yeah. But the actual difference, why it works inside companies is us taking all of the lessons from the last seven years of building communities and applying that to building communities internally. Kind of automatically. It just sort of automatically gets applied. We don't even have to think about it. Like all right. the little We just, we just know what just to do. Work. Like we yep. have a customer yep. success team who goes in, tells companies how they can do this and works with them to build up those communities internally. And I thought it was interesting too, like as we got into this, part of it obviously was companies have been approaching us, right? we had people inquiring as to whether they could yeah. do this. And obviously customer demand is a good sign of, you know, product market fit or opportunities Sometimes. where you can serve people. But the other thing, at least for me, was the big thing that pushed me over there. It's like, oh my gosh, we got to do this, is we were able to observe that the folks who had been using the previous version of this, right? The one that we had originally sold. The ancient Stack Exchange 1.0 by right. Creek Software. Which was sold to them as a thing they could build on, yeah. had actually built on that, right? Built it out and had really, really impressive success at a few different companies using this as internal knowledge sharing. The model had actually proved out with sort of our old software yeah. and their build on top of that. And I think, so I think what's interesting is that inside companies, people are far more likely to participate than on the internet at large. So even though the number of people participating in Stack Overflow might only be like 5% of programmers in the world to type on Stack Overflow, actually, what's the number? Probably like, couple million every month out of maybe 40 million so yeah i mean it's a i don't know where do you draw the line it's a like how many people five percent is a reasonable guess yeah you should be able to figure that out exactly but anyway let's say five percent of the programmers in the world that will actually maybe actually ask a question or answer a question echo flow every month but inside an organization you might say well gosh i only have three thousand developers in my bank i mean five percent is 60 but actually the participation is much much higher there because people feel safe and they have no choice. And it's mandated by management. That's always good. So that's the thing we're working on. And this is really, right now, it's just for really big companies. Right? Yeah. But because we're not sure what size developer group you need to sustain one of these sites. Right? So we're starting with very yeah. large. Companies with 2,000 or more developers. And now we're, right? we're going to work our way down to well, try we should, to figure out how to yeah. make it work. Should be clear about one thing there. We don't know what the absolute bottom number line is, but we do know as long as you have at least about 1,000 people starting off. It's guaranteed to work. It's going to work. Like, we can yeah. make it worth with that. We might be able to make it work with smaller. We just don't know that we can do that yet. Right. Guarantee conditional on following our rules and observing all. Right. Your mileage may vary. Your average listener is thinking, how do I get this? Product make it nuts. If you work in a company with 1,000 or more developers... It might be for you. You email enterprise at stackoverflow.com. Step one, grow your company to one that needs to employ a thousand or more developers. <laughs> Alex, what if you can't spell enterprise? Then you probably shouldn't be a software developer. <laughs> Set theory suggests can't spell enterprise and have a thousand employees have minimal overlap. Can we get NCC 1701 at stackoverflow.com? Yeah, I was gonna, can we get Star Trek at stackoverflow.com as an <laughs> alias? Just, just get all is of it, them. Is it NCC 1701? Is that the right... Sounds right. What yeah. knowledge sharing platform should we use? Yeah, the USS Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's and letters depending oh, on yeah, which that model is it was. Definitely our slogan. There's going to be so much punnage involving Star Trek and making it so. Yeah. yeah. We'll have lots of shots of Joel sliding into his chair, Riker style. Okay, next topic. Do a nice segue. Do a segue so it's like, and related to that, and then make it like a really smooth transition. Speaking <laughs> of enterprise and things yeah. that fly. Yeah. Yeah. Onto meta. Beautiful. Gracefully. Beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. We had, yes. we had our, I, I, I would say we had the yay. most, I would yay. say we had Jay the Hanlon, most. I say the yay. Thank you. Thank you. I rode my dorky segue right across that transition. <laughs> I see I segued on a segue joke <sighs> there. Okay. We still have a sound editor, right? Okay. 
I feel it is safe to say that we might have had the most popular terms of service change in, in the history of, terms in the of, service history change. of the world, which is to say right, um, we didn't talk about that people cared about it and not in a way that was being angry, which is very unusual for Usually, terms of service change. We get them all riled up first, get on the homepage of Reddit, and we, we have to call it all off. But this time, If yeah. you had asked me. So basically, no peanuts. I, I would never have anticipated that this. This is now the top voted question on Meta Stack Exchange. That's crazy. Even more time. than when gay marriage was allowed. And maybe the most viewed of all time, too. Yeah. 2,000 upvotes, 287,000 views, which is, for a terms Holy of service moly. update, which I don't know where all these people came from. Like, How did we, what the heck? Can we just agree That's that like, I'm the most popular person in the world? Is that a fair statement? Tell us what we actually changed. What did we change? Can you just tell us that? So, to my understanding, if I got it right, we now technically own each user's DNA genome, the mapping thereof. <laughs> right. And we are empowered to you know this was- Well, the, you've gone and wasted another half your life. This was the rare terms of service change that at least from a user perspective, essentially only improves their rights, their standings. And fundamentally what we did is we changed the terms so that basically a company could not go onto Stack Overflow and scrape profile data. So this is not about the content people write, which by the way, still licensed under CCSA, a lot of controversy over the changes there. We're still working with the community, but this is just really about the content on the profile. Profile. So if people write in the future, especially as we have more information about people's careers and things like that, companies were going out of Stack Overflow, scraping some of the information there, and then basically using it to sell that to other companies who would then spam these users trying to give them jobs. And that is bad on two levels for the user. One is they're being presented as being part of some crappy scraper company's database like they're a user there, which isn't even true. And two is they're getting unsolicited spam that's been pieced together from a half resume of them that they never wanted or bought into. And it's bad for us because, one, these sketchy companies are essentially competing with a jobs product that we hope and work hard to actually respect developers' rights and let them control what's happened to them. And we also don't want people to feel like when they participate on our sites, they get annoyed by other people. We work hard not to annoy them. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we don't want to do either of those things. And so we basically changed the terms and we did it in a very careful way. It was actually an agonizingly slow process because the lawyers kept saying, put in a clause that says, and we may have them and their children for all eternity. And we kept going, right. no, 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 we don't, we don't want extra rights. And they're like, but then yeah. you don't have to argue. And oh boy. So yeah, we kept going back and saying, no, 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 we don't want to own more of their content. We want to only control. And so it has all these lines like for business purposes, because if someone is actually just right. trying to pull up user data, we don't want to get in their way. And anyway, we also were careful in vetting it. I think we learned from some past mistakes that it's important to give the community input before it's almost done. So we yeah. put a lot of thought into what we thought would work. We did try to come up with a viable proposal, but we said, hey, this is what we're planning. We are definitely making a change. We want to see if you like this one, if you have suggestions. They were super supportive. And so after we got a little bit of feedback, I think incorporated some teeny tiny bits, we shipped it and the reception's been wonderful. So the main thing you have to know about this, if you only remember one thing, is that in the past, people have had the right to, at least according to the terms of service, there's been nothing to stop them from scraping user yep. profiles, gathering lists of Stack Overflow members, and then spamming everybody, usually on behalf of employers or recruiters. And now, although they will continue to do that, they are now violating our terms of service, and that gives us the right to now we can shake a finger them, at them, shake a finger at them, say send them cease and desist bad, letters, bad, bad man, and send them cease and desist, show up at their door and break their right. kneecaps with a baseball bat, <gasps> public shaming, yes, sneak mm. peanuts into their food. So stop saying peanuts. This whole <laughs> poker can't be played in my house now. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's the so should we, we were gonna we, were, we had a couple more interesting. Maybe we should save them for next week and shift to our guests because we have very special. They've guests been waiting very tonight. patiently yeah, yeah, yeah. through all of our dumb jokes. Our guest today, I haven't heard them laugh once. I think they muted themselves, uh, or they probably so they could eat peanuts. 
We're like, there, there has been Let's no laughing. Let's just leave the jokes to Joel out. At our fantastic humor, the only possible explanation is the mute button. <laughs> Nothing else could explain a lack of laughter at our jokes. Hyperdev. So let's start with, um, what's this little company that produced this? Where do you, where do you guys work again? T- tell me about, about this uh, Fog Creek place. Yeah, it's the company that Joel built. Yeah, Fog Creek Software. So you'll know Fog Bugs and Kiln and little things that we helped create, like Stack Overflow and created Trello and all the kinds of good stuff. That's right. On this podcast, we like to think that the podcast created Stack Overflow. Trello is the one that's similar to Microsoft Planner, is that correct? <laughs> that's right. That's the, yeah, yeah, that's right. But the add card buttons in the complete wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> so Fog Creek, just for our younger listeners, right? Fog uh, yeah, Creek yeah. was your first company, right? Your first company you founded, I should say. I think you that's and Michael right. Pryor founded. Yeah. And well, technically, when I was 11, I had a detective agency that I ran <laughs> on my grandfather's <laughs> brownstone in New York. So besides the Bloodhound Gang, I, yeah. this is your first That's startup right. with Michael Pryor. Here, by the way, could you introduce the guests? That, other than oh, they're I'm from sorry. Fog Creek, we have yes. Gareth Wilson, Director of Marketing at Fog Creek, and uh, Daniel Moore. Daniel, hello. Hello. Is an architect and a developer of HyperDev. Yeah. I don't know what title you use, but I'm allowed to make up anything I want. because Member of the technical staff. Member, everybody <laughs> at Fog Creek is a member of technical staff, so you're both member of technical staff. There you go. Kept that rule. Yeah, I do stuff with computers. <laughs> Me too. That is so cool. We have so much in common. Okay, how would you describe HyperDev? It's a very easy way to get your idea developed and deployed on the internet. Yeah. So traditionally, you have to do a lot of like set up your dev environment, download things, install things. And then when that version isn't compatible with a different version, install something else. And then somehow you've built it locally and you have to push it and deploy it to some other service to host it. On HyperDev, you go to the web page, your app is already live and deployed, you change the code, it's still live and deployed, and you're done. This is kind of actually a big deal that I don't think people realize. Did you guys read this blog post on Ron Jeffrey's blog from just a couple of days ago? Totally coincidentally, he's literally, it's not a marketing blog post for HyperDev. I don't think he even knows about HyperDev. His blog post is called, My God, It's Full of Yaks! And it's by Ron Jeffries, who's sort oh, of yeah. a luminary in the agile software development movement, been blogging for years, and is kind of a Super duper unbelievable expert on all things. And therefore, this is interesting. And it's just a blog about how he starts on Wednesday and goes till about Friday trying to get his environment set up so that he can run a basic service on the Google app engine that prints the current time. (laughs) Does he know he could make it print Ron is cool over and over again on his screen instead? It's just like, I went app engine, cloud engine, Python path stuff. Here's my code. It's really simple. I had to re-download the App Engine SDK, tried to use pip to install some library that showed up missing, discovered pip was not present, decided to use homebrew to install it, decided to update brew, discovered brew was broken, tried to update brew, discovered, wait, is brew and homebrew not the same thing? Doesn't matter. Uninstall brew more or less of that incident. Install brew, install pip, find interesting caveat in the main PIP install page saying that it may not work with your existing OS installed Python. Work around the caveat as described elsewhere on the internet. Stack Overflow, of course. Use pip to fetch whatever it was we wanted, test it, still not run, dot, 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 App Engine, Python, blah, blah, blah. Goes on and on and on, all kinds of stuff you're supposed to know. Yeah. and it breaks and good lord. So this is called yak shaving, I guess, which is where yak shaving is where you set out to do one thing, and then in order to do that, you have to solve this other problem, and right. then in order to solve that problem, you have to solve another problem, and then you find the yak you need, but the yak is too hairy, so you got to right. shave the yak. And right. So it's right that. So you when metaphor. you find yourself shaving a yak, and your actual problem is to build clogs or something like that. Right. Right. Clogs. Yeah. So like people have ideas, like they want to solve a problem or use something on their computer, deploy it, and they want to like do their idea. And right. most people, unless they're 
developers don't actually enjoy, you know, learning the internals of Git or getting the Python path to work. They don't want to know about brew. Yeah, they don't want to spend their weekend yeah. messing around with it. They just want to solve their thing and then be done with it. Yeah, Git. Oh, my God. The funny thing is, actually, when Ron is done here, I don't think he doesn't talk anything about version control. So he literally doesn't even have version control. He's just trying to get basic code up on App Engine and running. So there you go. So Hyperdev eliminates all of the yak shaving, and it just lets you just type some code. And I think the key thing... This is what my demo looks like when I try to demo Hyperdev to people. I just take them to hyperdev.com. You can follow along in your own browser. Do, 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 hyperdev.com. Boom. The minute you're there, you have literally launched a server on the internet. It is running on your behalf. And it's got a new name and a brand new fresh URL. And the URL that you see up in the browser, there's a little button that says view, I think. Show. Show. And that launches a little, yeah, with little sunglasses. And that actually launches another window. So you're looking at it like an IDE that's showing you the code for your project. And if you click on show, that launches another window, which shows your, your code running. And we've given you some really simple sample code that does basically nothing, but includes a tiny server-side piece and a tiny client-side piece. So you can see how both of them work, and they're both there for you. And literally at that moment, you now have a server on the internet, and you can take the URL and send it to your friends, and you can click the invite button. And your friends can actually be editing code with you at the same time. So it's sort of like a Google Docs editing experience where you're both editing the code Live, you are literally editing code live on the server, and every change that you make is going to just be deployed instantly, and your server will reboot and be running the new code already without having to save or git thing, rebase, pull, upgrade. Would you mind referring to my server by its proper name, Dandy-Hornet? Dandy-Hornet? Because I think that's minus phenomenal. Minus Brickbread? Mine's Big Snow. I am so winning Daniel, this. where do we get those words? Every project has just two words, but they're always yeah. good. We got like a big list of all the good words, oh. uh, all the good adjectives and all the good nouns, and we just put them together. Right. And we walked out. And like, it's never little hope or, <laughs> you know, dead mouse or anything like that. It's always <laughs> something nice. Can I just type that in and see whose project I get? <laughs> little hope. <laughs> little hope. And you just get a 404 probably. Darkest that's tragedy. So that's it. You're writing code. And as you're typing new code, either in the HTML files or in the client-side JavaScript or the server-side JavaScript or any other kind of type of file that you might want to create, CSS. It's literally changing as you type live. It's rebooting your server. It's live on the internet. It's just this thing where there's, there's just no version control. There's no configuration, really. There's no anything. And, and the code is just code. It's just JavaScript. It's running on Node. We're going to add some other languages soon. But you can kind of just throw in any code. Like literally anything you can cut and paste from Stack Overflow is likely to work, actually, to the extent. You're going to support works. Fortran? As long as it's... <laughs> uh, eventually, yes. Yeah. Node. Oh, my God. Not Fortran, please. Dartmouth Basic, please. So, <laughs> so essentially, if you want to put code into production that people can see, even setting aside the collaborative element, but before there were essentially 17 steps, right, that involved downloading various packages and hosting and all this crap. And what you've basically taken it down to is the only step you actually participate in really is the code. And mm -hmm. everything else is being abstracted away by HyperDev. Right. And it's just done in the simplest possible way, not, not necessarily. There's no attempt to give you, like, incredible flexibility and massive whatever. That's, Did you consider the third most complex else. way in, as yeah. an implementation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. That was the App Engine way, okay. and that's still okay. two days of yak shaving. And so Do who, you know how many razor blades you go through? <laughs> I'm, I'm not no, even kidding. I, I hope, don't care I hope you mean safety razor cartridges, because yeah. the jack is not... Okay. So who's the target audience here? So is this in its current implementation, let's say, forget, forget your long-term dreams that eventually this, I assume, will be a clone of some sort of project management software. But for today, is this mostly targeting people? Like, is it a playground for people trying out code ideas? Is it like, who's using it? Or who do you envision? Who do you think is using it? Yeah, so we, we refer to it as a developer playground. 
but unlike i guess a typical developer playground which are typically like front end only and provide like one css file one js file uh one html file you can actually create full like real fully functional web apps so you know it is useful for those who are just learning to code because they can actually just focus on learning the, the syntax and the core concepts of coding without getting stuck with all the, the Git and, you know, deploying code and compiling it, all that kind of stuff. It's good for people like me who know how to code but aren't developers and have incredibly rusty skills. And so, again, I, we can forgo all that setup nonsense. But I think it's still useful for those more experienced developers. I think as, uh, you know, if the, the, the father of extreme programming struggling with this kind of stuff then i think you know we all from time to time appreciate the ability just to kind of quickly knock up a script or to try out an idea without having to worry about everything else and so we've seen quite a range of people kind of using it already it, it almost feels to me like so when i was playing around a little bit and I'm, I'm obviously not the real target audience but it felt to me like it fits a little bit in a gap for for you mentioned learners where the roll stack overflow fills really is very much like hurdle clearing right you have to have a lot of fundamentals before we are of much use to you you kind of learn the basics and it feels like the online places, if you're kind of really literally just trying to teach yourself to code or get introduced, there's places that try and do that, right? But to my view, like a Codecademy or things like that, it's a nice service, but it's extraordinarily structured. Like if you were a tinkerer who wants to like learn a concept and really play with it, it's just not set up for that. It's not real in the same way, right? So some of it is also kind of fudging. And it feels like this is much more geared for that person who like wants to learn a basic concept and then actually be able to play with, try it, mess around with it and have it behave in the way it would in the real world, but maybe is not it's not instant for them to get all the setup stuff done. Is that, does that feel right? Am I seeing sort of that fit or is that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we have this ability to what we call remix, which is basically get a copy of the code that you're looking at already, and then you can play about with it and edit it however you want. So for example, we've got like the React main tutorial version of that in HyperDev. So you can go to that project, hit remix. You've got your own version of, of that code without having to set up all the server and stuff. And then you can just play about with it and you know extend it and, and do whatever you want with it. But it got you straight into playing about with React without then having to do it all the kind of the install steps and stuff before that, which judging by, you know, the responses on the forums is incredibly helpful because straight away they're saying, well, you know, what's this JSX thing? You know, how does it work with our and various other kind of package managers and things? And this is a whole lot of terminology and kind of confusion technology around even some of the basic things. So it allows you to just kind of be able to kind of jump into and start using and playing around with new programming languages and libraries and frameworks really easily. Yeah, our philosophy is that everything in HyperDev, it's like a real application. Even though it is, we call it like a developer playground, it's not necessarily a toy. The stuff you do in HyperDev, you can push it to Heroku, you can push it to anywhere else, you can download it, it can run locally on your machine. Yeah, that was actually sort of a bit of a change, Daniel, wasn't it? Like during the development process, we started out with some ideas of, hey, let's make some simplified programming libraries so that you can do things really fast. And then we realized that was not yeah, our strength. Definitely. There's like, like if you want to make development really easy for everyone, but like you could take the Rails approach and say, oh, we're making a framework, we're making yeah, the actual libraries. coding itself easier with like libraries and frameworks. Yeah. Because uh, like it's not hard to do better than the ones that exist, but it is an infinite amount of work. So if you right. actually want to ship something, you can just say, okay, it might just be normal Node.js, and you're going to have like promises and callback hell, and it's going to be a nightmare. But at least it's like a real nightmare, not like I couldn't even get my development environment set up and start my project nightmare. Right. You know, one of the things I remember about Visual Basic when it came out, Visual Basic 1.0, and this is like this was in prehistoric ages when, when the yaks wandered the earth. And 
<laughs> Visual Basic 1.0 came out, and there had been Sorry, a lot of attempts. Who was the project lead on Visual Basic 1.0 again? I don't know, I have no idea. Okay. Alan Cooper. Alan Cooper started a company. He's sort of a famous user interface writer today. He had a company called, I can't remember what, and they made a thing called Ruby, believe it or not. This is hilarious. And their thing called Ruby was user interface construction kit that lets you design Windows forms and dialog boxes and that kind of stuff just by dragging and dropping. And he got bought by Microsoft and they took his user interface construction kit and they glommed it onto the basic programming language, which had been shipping in the form of QuickBasic for DOS. And they made an amazing Windows programming environment that was enormously productive. One of the things that was interesting, and this is sort of an accident of that story that I just told, is that the part that they made easy was the graphical design part. And the part that they left the same was the actual typing of lines of code in BASIC, which was already decently easy, but it was still programming. And in fact, what Visual Basic was competing against is years and years of projects to try to make some kind of a graphical programming environment. And every one of those projects had like drag this little diamond when you want an if statement and drag. Every time you want to output something, you would go and you would drag and then you had to find a place for it, like a little picture of a, of a dot matrix printer. And then you like hooked it up to the if statement with a little line. And then the line was always like the wrong angle and it was crossing over something else. And so you had to find the new place to put your output. And you spent all this time doing nonsense work. And that was just a terrible programming environment. That was the first 27,000 attempts to make a graphical programming environment. And then Visual Basic shipped. And for the first time, they just said, you know what? Programming is programming. Let's just keep the programming the same. We'll give you a graphical tool for the graphical part, building the graphical user interface, but everything else just going to be code. And I think we took a similar philosophy with HyperDev of saying, hey, programming is just programming. We just want this to be normal, regular JavaScript. Anything that you cut and paste from Stack Overflow is going to work. Anything that you download, any library that you want to try, it's just going to work as is. And when you're done, what you have is a project that you can run anywhere, you can deploy anywhere, because it's just regular code. All we have done is shave the hell out of all those yaks. And when you get in there, all you have is a bunch of bald, hairless yaks. So don't even think about that. And we've cleaned up the, you know, the mess that comes from shaving what, yaks. What you're describing, besides my nightmare for this evening after I fall asleep, <laughs> bald. It, yes. it seems like it's the difference between if you've, kind if you've of pink, they're adorable. If you, you. Oh, yeah, like those cats, they're non-allergenic. That's and right. by those cats, I mean any cat. If you've ever played, <laughs> if you've ever played like Rock Band or Guitar Hero, right? It's the difference between what you're describing. In the first case is like the guitar stuff on that, like where you're like you're pressing a button right. and you're strumming a thing, and it is very similar to the types <laughs> of things you would do if you played a guitar, and it generates an output very similar to a guitar's. But you've actually learned almost nothing about nothing. how to play an actual guitar no, no. other than a little bit of rhythm. Yeah. And you don't even look that cool when you're doing right. it. It's as not opposed like you've to even the... learned how to dance around on stage like a real rock star. As opposed to the drums, which is to say if you play the drums on those games, it is giving you this spoon-fed right? way to like time yeah. the music and know yeah. which note is which. And it's made it easier to read the music. But what you are learning to do is actually the skill of playing the drums. That's right. And think about like the experience that somebody has learning programming, for example. So this is an amazing tool for teaching somebody programming, right. which is day one. Okay, uh, let's get Git installed on your computer. <laughs> day two. All right. Well, you did get push, but you didn't yet do git commit. And that's why the thing didn't, and you didn't put it in the index. You got to put it in the index and you got to push and you got to commit. And then, it, and then it's here. And it's like, ah, you made a remote head. And this is like, I haven't even learned about the while statement yet. I haven't learned about loops and I'm not doing anything fun and I don't get why I need to learn Git before I can do fun things. So you mentioned the process before. So let's go back a little bit. How did this idea develop, right? But was this part of the Creek Week style or like everyone, like where did, where, where did this grow out of? Yeah. And tell our audience what Creek Week is. Cause... At Fog Creek, we have this thing called Creek Weeks where a couple people can sort of take a week to explore an idea and figure out like 
could it be a cool idea? Could we build it? Could it be a real business? Why can't it work? Is it a terrible idea? But it's mainly during that week, you can kind of get your time protected to just focus on the idea and explore it. And so this kind of started as one of the Creek Week ideas. I'd actually messed around with a bunch of web-based IDEs and prototypes and things uh, that I'd built years ago. And I was just kind of like, I've always had a soft spot for these like web tools where you just go to a web page and the tool's there and you can use it. It's like core to my philosophy. So I want to do like some kind of web-based thing. I didn't know exactly whether it was going to turn into the hyperdev you see today or something else. And it was actually originally, I think one of the rules is you like talk to Joel before you start the week just to see if you're doing something totally insane. Like our original idea was much more. I can't remember. I don't remember that part. <laughs> totally would have shot it down. I, I like to. Now I envision this now. I've never been to Creek Week. I imagine like Joel sits in like the center of the room on yeah. a slightly raised chair, and no, people no, come before him, and it, they're like, a creek. "There's so, an actual Creek." I'm envisioning like a super accessible, very simple kind of web-based IDE thing, and Joel just like he has like a stick, and he kind of presses it down and says, "Must have pictures of Taco, my dog." And then everyone goes, "Okay, Joel." <laughs> and there's some process. Yeah, it's pretty much like The Apprentice, I think. Actually, <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I do remember this idea, and I was like, "That sounds terrible." Why would yeah. you make a web-based ID? Yeah, it actually, was a little more focused on like the. It's actually called HyperDev because it was sort of HyperCard focused originally. I wanted to make like a web-based HyperCard with like a visual programming thing, and you're like, right. "No, don't do visual programming because that's impossible." And yeah, I I don't remember all the details. I do remember we went through several iterations before what we hit upon is like exactly what we wanted to eliminate and what we didn't want to touch about the programming experience. Yep. And we came up with something really elegant, but it didn't quite start like that. It took like a little bit of bending to get there. Yeah, definitely. I've seen a lot of excitement on the developer Twitters and stuff about this. Got Hanselman and a bunch of people have sort of been tweeting about how cool it is and sort of how the sort of just works element, I, th I think, has been exciting people. But what are some of the cool things you're seeing? What's sort of being developed that was impressive or surprised you? Or Yeah, so I think... We're obviously using it for, you know, prototyping and quickly creating things. So, for example, some this um, kind of Aussie web developer created this responsive web app called Postcard Maker. So it's basically, you know, you upload a photo, you put in an address, you pay for it, and then you get a custom postcard sent to you in the, in the post. But what I thought was cool about that is that it's essentially now got this like little business in a box. It created just a few hours to get going. The printing's handled by some APIs, right? the payments, and it's all hosted and developed on HyperDev. But now he's got this kind of passive income stream, essentially, you know, which is like a nice learner for him. And he doesn't have to kind of worry about nitty gritty, just worry about writing the code and maybe I'll kind of custom service email. But beyond that, I think there's some kind of interesting use cases which don't kind of immediately kind of come to mind. So, for example, like documentation. So I know it's something that you guys have thought a lot about. But if you want to try out like a server side coding thing on GitHub, usually you have to kind of wade through their readme, which has like a page long list of steps to go through and, you know, you need to install this and run that and blah, blah, blah. Whereas we've seen people using, there's a GitHub import export facility, you can provide a link to automatically kind of take your project from GitHub and import it into Hyperdev. So then you can, within a few seconds, you know, you have a working version of that server side code running in your browser. And so I think that's pretty cool. But we've seen people using it for live coding as well. So instead of having some kind of brainy screen share where you can barely see what the guy's kind of typing people just have an audio session and then they're watching them like physically kind of type in the kind of google docs type experience i've seen people using it for remote teams doing for pair programming but i think the coolest thing to me is, is its use in education so kind of touched on a bit before but you've seen people like there's a code dojo in new zealand group of 10 year olds 
in a room trying out Node.js for the first time. And they tried it a few times before, but never really got that far because, you know, during the school and everything's locked down and they can't kind of get the code going. And so, you know, they're able to actually play around with Node.js within a, a few minutes. And so that's kind of really cool to kind of see people kind of experiencing programming for the first time and actually just kind of getting it and being able to kind of do it with their friends collaboratively and things like that. When you talk about sort of just 10-year-olds sitting down, it what, what strikes me is that you're really helping New Zealand run this new sweatshop for software development that up until now would have been wildly inefficient. Like that was not possible, I don't think. And they have to do it while standing upside down on the globe. Tricky. So you could have children sewing clothes for a long time, but getting them to make software is hard. And so have you been surprised at all by either sort of things you ran into in trying to build it like, or what's happened post-launch? Uh, let's see. I guess my biggest surprise is that Joel thought the idea was interesting eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already bored by this whole topic. Can we move on? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, it won't, it won't last. Enjoy, enjoy your moment in the sun. He'll lose interest soon. <laughs> As it grows longer from when Joel last ate, he will revert back to, <laughs> Nonsense! Who said you could speak to me? <laughs> but it's good you got a little love while it was there. So people want to check it out. It's just HyperDev. It's super easy. We got the domain name, eight-letter domain name. That's awesome. HyperDev it on Twitter. Wait, how does it work? What's it actually doing behind the scenes? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, you're on your web browser. You go to HyperDev.com. So it's got a just kind of static HTML, CSS, JavaScript page served off of S3, CloudFront, Route 53. So it's all completely serverless for the front-end side of it. Locally, to build it, we use Browserify Node.js to compile like all our front-end stuff. But when you actually go there as the user, you see the page, you click like, OK, let's get started. And then it pings our back-end and says, hey, give me a new project. So it automatically generates a new project. And within about two seconds, it spins up a Docker container for your project, and your code's running. And so then when you type a character, it transmits that character over WebSocket to the back end and says, hey, insert this character at this position in this file, and then it restarts your app. And so you can just do that like really fast. Like You might think, oh, isn't that terribly inefficient, and you have to compile things. Like You just don't worry about it. You just send the characters over, restart your app, and it turns out you can restart everything in under a second, usually. So it gives it like a very good real-time feel. Actually, back to something that was surprising. If it takes more than a second and a half to make a change and then see your change, it like feels terrible. It's yeah. just like, this is terrible. I'm going back to my local environment. But if it's like yeah, under yeah. a second and a half, it actually feels really good. It's like, oh, this is like live editing. It's cool. Yeah. So are you hosting all this yourself? The Docker containers is that? Yeah, it's on AWS. Okay. And we have some AWS instances okay, okay. running some like Docker containers. And yeah. And you're just jamming those full of thousands of Docker containers. Uh, Yeah. And actually, the containers, they go to sleep pretty easily, though, right? Yeah, I noticed that. So what's actually happening there? Yeah, so if your app's been idle for a few minutes, I think like 15 or so. Well, actually, if it's idle for two minutes, it kind of goes to sleep. So it's like in the Docker like archive on the machine, ready to come back up soon. Okay. And if it's more than 15 minutes, it's just evicted, and it'll get pulled in later. Okay. So then every time you kind of make a connection, if it's already running, the connection just instantly connects to the running container. But if it's sleeping, it'll wake it up, start it, and then connect it, which is under a second, quite fast. And if it needs to pull your kind of container image from our storage, then it'll pull it, boot up the Docker container, and launch it, which only takes like half a second more. Since it is just code, like Node.js stuff, it's kilobytes, you know, not megabytes or gigabytes or a million line repo or anything like that. 
So some of the magic here is that it's Docker. So you get the kind of easy, fast, spin up little containers for these things, which also is going to make it fairly straightforward to add other languages. Yeah, I think the way we've structured it is it's basically language agnostic and we can just use a different base image to support different languages. So that should be easy to do in the future. We have plans to do it very soon. We just want to make sure that when we do add languages, we add them as like first class citizens and not like, yeah, you can use Go or whatever, but you're on your own and it might be like weird in the editor. Yeah. Uh, so you really just want to kind of make sure that we polish up the rough edges and that people like have that simple and easy experience so they don't get stumped on stupid things. Here's an unsolicited endorsement from our internal team. Someone in our chat room is asking, has anyone tried HyperWeb out yet? It's actually really cool. It goes on to say it's great at doing exactly what it would help me do, get an idea tested quickly. You could get from like, maybe that'll work to sketches on paper to working prototype in under an hour. In fact, you can see Kazra's HyperDev project at cole-sting.hyperdev.space. That's an old uh, URL in the beta. Uh, no, it's the, we have hyperdev.com for the editor and hyperdev.space for the user-generated subdomains. Oh. oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. What's next? You talked a little bit about adding additional languages. Anything else up in the queue for important new features to add to HyperDev in the next release? Or is it done? Uh, let's see. I think the main, the next major release is multi-language support. We want to get Python, PHP, maybe Perl, possibly Go and Ruby, sort of languages that are either dynamic or so that your startup time is quick. Mm -hmm. Go we could probably do because it compiles quickly. It's like one of those things, if we can get it where when you make a change and see it run right. in under a second and a half, that feels really good. Right. And if it's longer than that, like... Maybe we could get Java on there eventually. I don't know. We might have to work some miracles. But if it takes like 10 seconds to see your change, like you'll just do it locally. Right. Yeah. And what about like dependencies? So Node's got a nice, you know, NPM package manager. How do you, when you're working with a language that doesn't have that, that's going to get a lot trickier. Yeah. So for example, with like Ruby support, we would include Bundler to add dependencies. And so like the way in HyperDev, it's generally language agnostic. We have a little bit of helpers in the UI. It's like if you click on your package JSON file, there's a little add package button that searches NPM and you can insert it automatically in there. Ah, oh, fancy. In Ruby with Bundler, we could do the same thing. We just have to wire up the UI and find the right service that knows all the Ruby packages. Same with like Python and pip. And so for many languages, we could do that if they have like a de facto package manager. And if a language doesn't have a de facto package manager, you could probably still set it up by like backdooring it into the node runtime with some pre-install madness in your package JSON, but it's a secret feature. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was. Yeah, secrets out. Oops. All right. Well, if you haven't yet, go to hyperdev.com, check it out, put it in front of your kids. Yeah. And if you like it, go ahead and put some money in an envelope. Mail it to <laughs> hyperdev. Care of Joel Spolsky. Bill, how do you get new dogs out of this? And how does this translate into... Can yeah, we yeah, talk yeah. about that? Yeah. Is there is there a revenue model? <sighs> yeah, we're going to... We haven't thought about that very hard. But the model is going to be like <laughs> GitHub. Basically, if you're willing to put your project up there and give people access to the source code and a button that says Remix, then it's free. And if you want a private repo, then you pay. And that's basically the idea. It's going to let this New Zealand, the you know, 10-year-olds creating code. For <laughs> Shops, it. Don't. That's, that, sure that's a, a backup plan. <laughs> But I would say, don't treat that like your backup plan. You really want to explore both in parallel. Both in parallel. Yeah, um, multiple revenue streams. Well, somebody can work on the New Zealand idea at night, daytime there. That was a time zone joke. It was terrible. They didn't laugh. Don't worry, developers don't understand time zone. <laughs> <laughs> That's time.
talk about how the toilet water does not actually swish differently in New Zealand. Can we talk about that for a while? No. Thank you very much, Gareth Wilson, Director of Marketing, Bob Greig, Daniel Exmoor, Director of Writing Code <laughs> on HyperDev. Thanks. Thank you. Director of Writing Code. Congrats on all the success so far, and keep us posted. Keep us posted. All right. So Call into a future podcast. You don't actually have to keep us posted. We'll just follow you on oh, Twitter. No, I want to know. I want to know what's going on. Before we wrap up, let's talk about what's coming soon. Next stuff in Stack Overflow. Yeah, so one thing worth, we won't recap the stuff that we've been working on for a long time, but something that we have had a little bit of new focus on that we'll be probably rolling some tests out relatively soon. We're working on playing a little bit with the Ask page, the Ask Question page on Stack Overflow. Oh, that's a good one. Which is something that has not been meaningfully changed. not been meaningfully changed for a long many, time. Uh, I know whose Twitter feed you're following. Oh, I don't have to follow his Twitter feed. He emails me quite regularly <laughs> to discuss this topic. And it's actually been quite helpful. I shouldn't joke. That's Mr. Coding Horror. Yes, yes. Coding Horror has actually sent some pretty, pretty good Coding thoughts Horror. What's his official? Ex Stack Overflow podcast host. That's true. That's Coding true. Jeff Atwood, That's AKA true. Coding Horror. Stack Overflow co-founder and ex-podcast host. But anyway, -host. Uh, he, among others, has talked about how this page has not been changed much since he first brought it down from the mountain. And I think one of the things that we know is while asking questions has probably gotten just harder in that we have so many of the questions already sort of Ask. covered. Yeah. And so asking a good new question is tricky in some ways. Even the questions that are new and are great and fit our engine well, often users struggle. They don't include the code they could include. They don't explain what they expected and how it was different from what they got. And so there's often not enough information where yeah, only the original yeah, asker yeah, has it. We yeah. can edit it in. So we want to make that better, but we're just looking yes. for all kinds of ideas. So go ahead, yes. go on Meta, and uh, there'll be a link in the show notes. And give us all your ideas because we just want to try a lot of different things. Correct. Try to figure out what will improve the quality of the questions that people are asking. And sometimes you can't do anything about it. The people are just determined to ask a bad question. That is not, I think, an accurate description of the primary problem that people have come here to deliberately ask bad questions and will not be deterred. No, but that is a problem. I think of it this way. There are people who can ask better questions than they are if they only knew what we needed. And those are the people we're targeting, right? Is how do we help them That's ask right. the question better? Because it will both help. We've talked about, we probably on this podcast, those of you who listen to every episode will remember at some point, I might have told a story, but I'll tell it anyway, which is that the correct way, sociologically, if you were going to stand up as a human being in real life, meet space, not on Stack Overflow, and ask your colleague a question about code, you might get up, go over to their desk and say, excuse me, can I bother you? And that's just... You already have. Too late for that question. Yes. I'm having a problem here with the code. Okay, what's the problem? It's like, come here, let me show you. Well, all right, so here's my code, and I'm trying to get this thing to happen. And they're like, well, what did you try? Oh, okay, well, I tried this. And that becomes sort of a conversation. And the so dialogue. there's an opening gambit yeah. of, can I interrupt you, et cetera, et cetera. And people take that online, and they go with, can't get my code to work. And they're just waiting for the next person to say, what have you tried? And on Stack Overflow, we don't need the whole stupid ping pong game. You know, that's stupid. What we want is you to come to us and say, hello, I am trying to do X. I tried Y. I expected X. I got Z instead. What is broken about my brain? Here's the minimum. And if you can do that, you're done. But unfortunately, people often try the very human gambit of, I mean, notice that X doesn't work. Anybody else having X not working? They don't actually talk in that. They use a special font to convey that tone. X doesn't work. I think of that anecdote whenever my wife is standing in the living room and she will be like staring at her phone and she'll say, why isn't this working? And yeah. I'm like, oh, she's talking to herself. And then she'll be like, did you hear me? And I'll be like, I could not fathom that was a question directed at me. You are holding a device that could have 6,000 problems and you asked me. 
Yeah, and then she appropriately cuts off your head and eats it. Yes, yes, usually, <laughs> usually. This story always ends with me apologizing, but that's okay. Okay, so so that's the ask page. Exciting, exciting experimentation going there, and then the next thing, which will probably be the focus of our new podcast, or next because we're live in the wild. Yes, is documentation. I will say this has been tested by our incredible existing community. It has been touched. It has been poked. And so while you are right, David, there will be some stuff to do. I think this 1.0 is going to be uh, Perfect. just phenomenal. And so we are incredibly excited. We'll talk all about that next time on the podcast. Next time on the podcast. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought this was the last podcast. Second to last, Joel. Second to last. Your contract, you committed to one more. All right. You can safely say the documentation we'll be showing this next podcast because we're doing about one every six months at this rate. But you're right. This is our penultimate podcast. Just like your next birthday is your penultimate birthday. Don't ask what that word means. So your nose is getting longer every time you say it. Penultimate? No, it's just the way his nose looks. Really? That's a nose joke? That's mean. Joel started it. This is not a visual medium. Our audience cannot enjoy your mockery. We should just go. I'm sad about my nose. Now I'm going to go home and talk to my therapist. And God. Your therapist lives in your house? No, but I have a plastic surgeon in my house. She can fix my nose. Fix your nose. Yeah, that's, that's right. True. I know. That's true. Why haven't you done something about this? It. That's true. Yeah, she likes to use me as a before picture. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. You totally threw me off there. I was, we were going to talk about something interesting. Documentation, Documentation. next podcast. All right, that's it. Enough. You've gone and wasted. Can I do that? This time I feel like. Gone and wasted. Yeah. Gone and wasted. Are we ready for gone and wasted? Are we ready? Are we ready? Are we ready? Stand by. We are so Stand wasted. Stand by for gone and wasted. Okay, here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. Okay. One. Well, you've gone and wasted another hour of your life listening to Stack Exchange Podcast number 71, recorded Tuesday, June 28th, 2016 at Stack Overflow headquarters. This podcast has been brought to you by Eugene McCarthy for president the most complex and talented man in American politics. I, Gene, Eugene, we all Gene for Eugene McCarthy. <laughs> uh, and in case they wanted again, today's podcast is sponsored by IBM. Did you guys know that you can run Swift on the cloud? Swift, the modern, easy-to-use open-source programming language, has come to the server and is running on the cloud. Build and deploy your cloud services today with Swift at IBM. For Gareth Wilson, Daniel X. Moore, and the rest of you, I'm going to do your names in Hebrew. Yoshua Hanlon, David Fullerton, audio editor, David Greenlee, remote desktop connection producer, Avigail Miller, local desktop producer of Rami Miller. I'm Yul Spolsky. Goodbye. Bye. Make it so. Make it so. Make it so. So. so David has a new baby, young Nora, and the, the real question I think is on everybody's mind is how soon can your baby help Gareth and Daniel with their plan to sew sneakers and sell them to wealthy Americans or something like oh, that? Right I mean, that's, that's where we're headed. Wait, what do you need? Yeah, how She's are her pretty fine good motor at, skills? If what you need is like perpetual motion machine, random flailing if you can turn that into energy i feel like you could get some real use out of her i think we can yeah i think we'll make a hyper dev app that can turn children typing into stack overflow not questions typing she can't not you got to turn her random arm okay. movements into the giant keyboard put it on the floor of your house and okay. then we'll wire it up work. using hyper dev to post stack overflow questions she can't move to be clear she just lies in one place yeah. I mean, we're talking, what, six, seven weeks old at this point? No, she's 12 weeks old. Wait, really? Have you been back at work for eight weeks already? Two months. Why haven't you gotten anything done?